who was blessed in worship. Okay, just a few of you. Uh, I'm going to start. I have an announcement. Uh, it is the, the final update on the building, and it's probably not what everyone wanted to hear, but we did not get it. Uh, we didn't feel peace to move forward, and honestly, a lot of doors shut um, in the practical side as far as uh, the parking goes. Um, we, uh, we raised around $615,000, uh, which is... Which is absolutely remarkable. And uh, I just wanted to speak real quick because um, there is disappointment. There was a lot of work, a um, lot, a lot of hours, time, stress uh, by myself and a number of individuals that went into this. And, and it, didn't, it didn't come through. We took a risk. And uh, part of risk is you don't know what's going to happen, right? Uh, but we demonstrated uh, our belief in who we believe God is. But I want to just speak, speak to you all and, and say thank you for the sacrifice of how you've sown into this. Um, I know that, God, that God's fire falls on sacrifice and uh, this is by, by no means a null or a void experience. Uh, the beauty of what took place through this process as a family and seeing your level of commitment and seeing you partner with the Lord with such joy uh, forever changed me, it marked me and it, and it, it just, uh, it, it did a work within this community and so uh, just honor you and know that the Lord honors it and the sacrifice, you know, his fire falls on sacrifice and we will be uh, sending the money back. Uh, and so it's kind of like an Isaac, I guess, you know, you gave the sacrifice and the Lord's giving it back. <laughs> so come on, it's good night, right? Um, I've had a few people like concerned be like, well, I don't want my money back. Can I keep it with you? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, so um, if you want to do that, uh, you can just bring it back next week to church, I guess, and pop it in the offering and we will um, continue. Uh, we have a, a savings fund that the church has um, independent of what was raised through this, but we'll continue accumulating. Um, we don't know. We're back at ground zero. Um, which is difficult. We don't know what the future looks like, but we believe that the Lord is going to do a miracle and he has something uh, right, right in store. And so um, I believe that disappointment often is a staircase that leads you into the fulfillment of what God's wanting to do if you will continue to praise and worship and believe because he's good and he's faithful. So um, I'm encouraged, honestly, um, and uh, we will be getting uh, your checks will be back in the mail this week. And if you gave cash, those will be back. Those haven't not been deposited either. So uh, we'll be giving the money back and we just thank you for your partnership. And, uh, and we believe that uh, the Lord knows what he's doing. So we're still on the, uh, the roller coaster together. Amen. All righty. Well, I'm going to pray uh, and then I'll, I'll share. And I think I'm a little short on time. So I'm going to try to be uh, as uh, efficient as possible tonight. Um, so Jesus, we orient our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our will and everything that we are towards you right now and we say come Holy Spirit and bring with you the words of Jesus tonight he has many things to say to us still and we want to have eyes to see and ears to hear that which the master is speaking and so we invite you to fill this place with even more of your love and your presence and your passionate heart Jesus We want the words of heaven. We want you to come and shape our paradigms, shape our perception, shape our reality tonight, God, with the words of your kingdom. God, with the message of your great heart. 
So we thank you that you're here and that you've humbled yourself yet again to be amongst your people in Boise, Idaho. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, who was here last week and was blessed by Susanna's message? Amen. I, I was too. I thought it was uh, profound. I thought it was um, beautifully communicated. And uh, I was inspired personally. And so there's, um, I'm, I'm going to even, maybe not expands the wrong word, but journey even deeper into this idea of, of being a people on mission. And the Holy Spirit has been, you know, active in our community lately. I think the last few weeks, uh, many people have testified to um, just a deeper familiarity with the, the Spirit of God. And as Susanna communicated last week, that uh, for me, uh, I, I will believe that an, there's an authenticity to an experience with the Holy Spirit if it expresses itself as mission, if it leads to a missional activity. Does that make sense? Um, so, you know, we, it's great if God moves. It's great if you have powerful experiences, if you fall down or whatever it is. Um, but if that does not translate into tangible fruitfulness, missional expression in the city, then it's like, well, that was awesome, but what was it for? You see what I'm saying? So there's really a tension in a both and. And so uh, that's why I believe we've kind of in this rhythm of talking to the Spirit of God, uh, opening our hearts to Him more. And then also uh, now the Lord's wanting to release us into mission. And tonight, my message and really the premise, the thesis, I guess, of tonight is that we must understand the context we are in if we're to minister effectively to it, right? And the best analogy I could give to kind of capture that thought would be, uh, you know, if you come from South America, per se, and I were like, hey, you want to come play football with me and my friends this afternoon? He's like, oh, yeah, I've played my whole life. And we got out on the field, and I'm playing American football, and he's playing Football, right? You're not, not going to know the context of what's happening. It's been like, you know, your ball's a cone shaped. You're touching it with your hands. What's happening out here, right? You'd be very unsuccessful at playing soccer when you think you're playing football or, or, or vice versa, right? And the reality, there's different contexts. There's different rules. There's different paradigms that shape different sports that we play. And you have to understand your context if you're going to be effective in that particular sport. Amen. And it's no different in Christianity. Sometimes we think that there is this universal context, and that is really not true. And as you engage in mission uh, or study, you know, different past times, cultural evolution, you start to recognize there are different cultural paradigms. There are different contexts through which the gospel is to be expressed. And so we are here as Americans. Most of us are citizens of this nation. And most of us predominantly have calls to be effective ministers of the gospel in the American context. So we have to have a really thorough understanding of the American context. And that will then help us understand how to relate scripture, how to be the most effective ministers to the American context. Does that make sense? So uh, we are living, this nation, and really the Western world, is, is what we are now defining as post-Christian. Okay? And this is really important that we grasp. We are post-Christian. 
Okay, the days, there were days of Christendom where Christianity enjoyed a lot of influence amongst the culture of this nation, right? There was, uh, the Christ, there was kind of Christian morality, and a lot of things were just taken for granted. The church had a lot of influence within culture, not complete influence, not in every single arena, but there were days where the church was just in an exalted position amongst this nation, and, and you could say the same thing in Europe, uh, but now it has changed, and we are living in a post-Christian context, which means uh, that the church has been relegated to the four walls of the church. The church no longer has a lot of influence amongst the culture of the United States of America, right? There is Christian culture, and then there is the rest of culture. And really, if you look at the statistics, Christian culture is getting kind of smaller, and secular culture is getting more and more louder and more influential. Uh, are you following me right now? So I would propose even that we are a church in exile. And I'm going to describe um, what that means throughout the rest of this message. Uh, the truth is that American culture is calloused and desensitized to the message of the gospel. And every time salvation or Christianity is presented to secular culture, there are very thick filters that are formed within the consciousness of American culture that view what you're saying as they, they view it doesn't matter what you say they're they're translating it through a lens of works-based morality legalism hypocrisy and judgment right there is a book called unchristian that's talking about how the secular culture views Christianity, and it's very sobering if you were to read this work, okay? But they are calloused and desensitized. Culture is calloused and desensitized to the message of Christianity. And Susanna presented a question last night that she's wrestling with in her master's that I don't think is something we should just wrestle with in master's and doctorate programs. I think it is what we are forced to wrestle with as American Christians alive today and anointed by God to minister to a post-Christian America, right? And that question she presented was, how do you present the bread of life to those who aren't hungry? How do you present the bread of life to those who aren't hungry right when you go to the global south just like naturally speaking if you want to get an audience with people you know what you do you get some food right you you have a, like a big barbecue with rice and beans normally and you'll get an audience because they're hungry right they they literally physically i'm just physically speaking they want food right when i, I tried one time in college, I was a small group leader. I was a sophomore. I was leading a bunch of freshmen. And I got the idea. I was like, hey, let's go do some ministry to the homeless. They lived like five, five, ten minutes away from us. So we went and got like 50 bucks together and bought a bunch of cheeseburgers. And I took it out to the, we were out at this beach at night where all these homeless guys hung out. And I was like, hey, do you guys want some dinner? I got McDonald's for you. And he's like, what'd you do to it? And I was like, nothing. He's like, no, I don't believe you. You put some crap in there. And I was like, no, no. I was like, I'll take a bite. And he's like, okay. And I took a bite. He's like, all right, yeah, give me one. You know, so like you try to feed Americans, even like homeless Americans sometimes, and they're like, no, nah, dude, you're weird. Something wrong with you, right? Because America is not hungry. America is satisfied, right? And spiritually, there's a real parallel in this, and that is spiritually in the global south, we're predominantly dealing with a pre-Christian culture. 
right? Africa's actually uh, maybe been pretty strongly in the last hundred years to where it's entering more into uh, maybe a modern day Christendom within that nation, but, and, and maybe the same with South America, but Asia um, and, and still very much parts of the global South are still pre-Christian. And so what that means is that mission and evangelism actually looks strikingly similar to what we see in the book of Acts. Right? Peter and Paul are ministering to a pre-Christian world. There was a hunger for the message that they had. They didn't have to work hard to get an in, to get a, a influence, to get a place to speak. There were people that were naturally hungry, and there was this missional expression that went through the pre-Christian world of Europe and the Roman Empire at the time. And you know, Thomas is is noted as going to India, right? But when you're ministering in the global south today, and this is really the split that I have, is when I'm in the global south versus when I'm here in America. It's, it's so different. I almost am like in a transition every time because of how God uses me, how he speaks to me, the messages he released, how the spirit of God manifests. It's very different because I'm, I'm going between two very different contexts. And the global spell, south, stereotypical speaking, is in a pre-Christian state and mission and evangelism uh, is, is fine-tuned by God to reach that, that type of culture. Does this make sense? Right? When we talk about American culture, we're in a post-Christian era, and I believe that Acts is not necessarily the best context to look at when we're wanting to find precedent for how the Spirit of God is wanting to move into our nation. Right? I'm not saying you throw it all out. I'm not, it's all inspired. God will speak through it all. But what I believe is a more adequate representation of what God is wanting to do in culture today is looking at people like Daniel and Joseph. Right? They were men who were in the midst of a very powerful culture that was not hungry, that had, they did not want to hear about the God they represented. Right? If you think of Joseph, it's like his dad and his grandpa and his great-grandpa's religion. And, oh, it's the God of my father's. Right? He had no favor to tell Pharaoh about his God. Daniel was a conquered person, a conquered king, kingdom, a conquered Israel. Right? Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to hear about Yahweh. He just defeated Yahweh's people. Are you following me? They did not have cultural influence. They had no place to speak to the kings of Babylonian and Egyptian culture. They were these dominant forces that were not hungry for the gospel. And yet God used these men to, to minister in such a way that the God that they represented, the Yahweh, was revealed as the Lord Most High. Right? And so we have to understand the context we're in if we're to effectively engage within it. Right? And we, we, we speak about revival often. I believe we need a revival. But I actually want to use a different word tonight to contextualize even what I believe the revival that God's desiring to bring into the American context is. And that is we need a renaissance. Right? A renaissance, this is a word that captured the civilization, the rebirthing, the reawakening that took place in Europe that actually transformed the society right? as, uh, as uh, the arts were actually the leading expression. Creativity brought about a reawakening across society 
uh, that actually transformed all of culture, right? We're familiar with this. This is where the arts and, you know, Michelangelo and Da Vinci and uh, all this brilliant thought and creativity and culture was very dynamically transformed through this cultural renaissance. And I believe that the church, the Western church, has uh, entered into a, a sort of dark ages and we actually need a renaissance within the church. We need to come back powerfully and reclaim the creative mandate that God put upon us as his image bearers to co-create the world, to influence culture. Right? We have, we have, we've forgotten what the church has created in culture thus far. Uh, music was a, a creation of the church. The hospital healthcare system was a creation of the church, right? There's so many things, so many of the facets of our life today were originally the innovation of the people of God. And now culture, we all know this, that when culture thinks of the church of Jesus Christ, they do not think as a source of innovation, creativity, and divine wisdom. No, they think of a place of judgment, morality, and often hypocrisy. That, that's just, I'm trying to be honest, right? We need to get honest about this. That is what American culture thinks of when they think of the church. And I believe it's because we have forsaken, we have, we have not captured, we have let this mantle of creativity go to rest. And instead, we have engaged with culture in ways that have s severed our, uh, our influence. And I believe, I'm just going to talk about three ways that, that the church has, is notorious really, for engaging with culture, and it's not of cultural engagement, right? They're just incomplete um, uh, expressions of cultural engagement, right? And the first way the church uh, has engaged with culture is we've consumed it, right? We, the American dream has basically become synonymous with the gospel message to the point they're almost inseparable, Right? We, we've just consumed and we've embraced this American ideology that we've consumed, consumed, consumed. Right? And I'm guilty of this, and I know all of you in this room are as well, that you've asked questions and said things like, I didn't like worship last week. That's the stupidest statement ever. <laughs> like that is saying, I'm taking this, this beautiful gift called worship where God is giving me the ability to come before him to express gratitude for the grace he's lavished upon me. And I didn't like it. It didn't make me feel very good. Right? Because we've been ingrained in a consumer-hungry culture that consumes, 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 and we have, we've, we've, we've been infiltrated by this. I think more so than we think. I think it's deep into the minds of Western Christianity. We've become consumers, and consumption is not bad in itself, but it is far less uh, than the creative mandate than we've been given. We've touched on this some. The second thing we've done is we have copied culture. Right? And, you know, I don't want to, like, take a poke and jab at, like, Christian movies, right? But we all know you've kind of cringed before watching a Christian movie, have you? Right, because we've essentially said, oh, culture's doing this. Let's copy it and put a Christian tag on top of it, right? And we've done this in all types of avenues. I'm not just picking on Christian movies, but we've done this, and copying's not bad. We are called to imitate. We, you know, it's good to draw inspiration from all sorts of things, but the reality is that plagiarism and copying doesn't create leadership and influence within a culture, 
right? It's the pioneers and the innovators. It's the people that are doing the things today that culture will catch up to in 10 years. Those are the people that have a place to speak into culture. Amen? Right? It's not copying. Copying is good. You can draw inspiration. It can be a place to kind of be a think tank and, and garner and get some ideas. But it is far less than the creative mandate that God has put upon the church of Jesus Christ. Right? The church should be the source, the, the hotbed, the think tank for innovation and creativity in the earth. Because the spirit of God abides in the midst of the church. And he is the one. He's the fount of all wisdom. God's not copying anyone. He is. I am that I am. There's no one before me. There's no one beside me. I am God. He is unique. He is original. Everything about him is holy and not like us. And he is the source of creativity. <laughs> the church shouldn't be copying culture. <laughs> and lastly, we have critiqued culture. And sadly enough, this is, this is what I actually expect to come out of kind of the, the, the national conscience of the church every time there's a tragedy, every time, you know, I, like I remember when the, 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 the gay nightclub in, in Orlando, you know, I, I've almost come to expect that voice of judgment and criticism is going to arise from the midst of the church. And, you, and, and I believe there's many Christians that say that's not my voice. It's true. It's absolutely true, but that that voice has become so redundant amongst culture. And when all you do is critique, critique, why are people doing this? Why are people doing that? This is so bad. That's so sinful. That's so da, sa, 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 da, 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 da. People start tuning you out. You know, and uh, there's a guy named Andy Crouch that um, a lot of this content, uh, actually, originally, it's his thought. He's talking about how, like, movie critics, right? Like, movie critics are always criticizing movies, but, like, how many people, you're still going to go see Star Wars, no matter what people say, <laughs> right? Cr critics don't have that much of a say at the end of the day. And if all you're doing is criticizing culture, you are diminishing your influence within it, right? So we, these are... For me, these are the three big C's of how the church is engaged with culture. And so that's why we're in the dark ages. That's why we're stuck in the church. Because we've failed to recognize that above all these things, each of those things have good qualities. But we are supposed to create. We're supposed to be intimately connected with the spirit of wisdom and creativity himself. The first time the spirit of God filled a human being, it was in Exodus 35. And it was with the spirit of wisdom and and. Uh, and excellence or something so that he could create fine, like artistic designs for the tabernacle of Moses, right? There's a, it's called a doctrine of precedence. When the first time something is mentioned in the scripture, it's, it's, it's very unique and it's trying to speak a powerful message, right? So God in his wisdom, the first time the spirit of God comes upon a human, it is to fill them with wisdom and creativity to create something beautiful, to create something, a, a shadow of the holy, so that earth can look upon it, the people of earth can look upon it and, and come into contact with the divine. Right? That is the mandate upon every human being. I believe that creativity is the, is the channel, it's, it's the source through which the awakening that God is desiring to bring this nation into is going to come. Right? It is, it's going to be a renaissance of creativity within the church. Right, I, I heard it recently that uh, we are all works of art and artists at work. 
because we're formed in his image. And, and there is a very subtle but potent and intentional attack that hell has spoken to you most of your life. You're not creative. You're not creative. You're not creative. You know how many people say that? They say that children uh, are remarkably more creative and free to express. And that literally, the longer you go and the older you get, creativity just diminishes. That's, that's not coincidence. It's because it's, that's a forsaking of our call to be an image bearer of the creator. When we are told we're made in his image, the only thing we know about him is that he's a creator and that he's good. So there's a renaissance of creativity core. It's actually about, and creativity, if you want to bring it down to its core, it's actually about communication. It's actually about language, right? Every, everything you create is self-expression. Uh, and hopefully it's, you know, expression of him as well because you're doing these things you're creating together with God. But you're creating something that has a message. And creativity is not just the arts. It's not just music and drama and dance. It's business, right? Entrepreneurship is creativity. It's family, creativity. It's teaching, creativity. Everything that we do as human beings are acts of creativity, Okay, and uh, creativity, everything we do, it's expression. I'm actually expressing myself. And so it derives from language. And Susanna mentioned last week how uh, in social revolutions, they track it back to language. It's actually words that people pen, people express, that captures the consciousness of those around, and they find a, a, a resonance with the language being spoken, and it triggers this revolution. It triggers these movements. Do you remember this? Right? So God is designed. God is speaking things over the United States of America. God is singing songs. God, there are words that heaven is expressing over culture. But God is wanting people to actually do the work to get into a place where they can come into understanding of what is God saying into this post-Christian American context. Because when the church gets connected to the wisdom of God and begins to express this, we will begin to transform the paradigms and the perceptions of how people are viewing their lives, right? And what we're trying to speak are the words of the kingdom, right? The kingdom is invisible, but it is very practical and easily implemented into their dynamics of culture, Right? Jesus lived in a day where there was Roman occupation and there was these Jews that were very frustrated and there was all kinds of tension and the Romans were afraid of, uh, they didn't want there to be riots because Caesar would get mad and the Jews didn't want to get killed and there's all this tension and there was this law that the Roman soldier, if he asked a Jew, he had to stop everything and carry his armor and walk for a mile. You familiar with this? Right? So that was the law. This meant there was uh, the, the, the Jews were in this place being angry, frustrated. If a Roman soldier said, hey, Jordan, carry my armor for a mile. I only had two choices. I could resist and say no, which would be punished. I'd have to dishonor and revolt against the law of the land. Or I would passively submit and say okay and throw my dignity away and, and demonstrate that I'm a subjected person. And, and feel very powerless and self-deprecating. Are you following me? Right, this, is a real, this was real practical junk of life. Jesus comes connected to the source of divine wisdom, the Spirit of God in communion with his Father, and he speaks the words of the kingdom. He says, no, 
someone says to go with you one mile, go with him two. In that moment, he, he shapes reality with the message of the kingdom. And he says, no, no, no. You, you don't just have to revolt or passively submit. You can actually submit to them, but with a, with a, a uh, uh, but keep your dignity. No, I, I won't carry it one. I'm going to carry it two. Because I will not be a passive slave to your system. I will keep my dignity as a human being. Are you following me? He, he, he opens the kingdom. He gives this, this third way. He gives this different perspective on life. Right? That's the kingdom at work. That's the words of God changing culture. Okay? And we are all sent into similar dynamics, but we need to be positioned like Jesus was to be able to speak the words of God into them. Are you following me? You're real quiet. <laughs> to take you on a journey of getting you positioned to receive the language of God. To be in a place where you can actually hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to the church, to you, to our culture. Right? And uh, I'm just going to go, and I think you will find yourself on different stages of this journey. Um, so the first one is perhaps the most important one for some of us. And that is that we must accept we are a post Christian nation, and we must accept the reality of the state of the church, which is that it's not working. I, I was, you know, I, I was raised in the Nazarene denomination a number of years ago. There was a district superintendent that was meeting with all the pastors of a region. He had just taken over um, the, the, the region, the regional leadership, and we were at a retreat. And I'll never forget this. I thought it was like one of the best leadership moments I've ever seen. He literally got up, started preaching, and he said, uh, he said, in, you know, like, it was like 1970, this is the population of the region, which was like Boise and like a number of places in the Northwest. So this was the population, and then he took it 40 years later and said, this is the growth. And it was like a really big number of population growth. And then he said, in 1970, this was the number of churches, and this was the attendance of church. And then he came forward and he said, and now there are less churches in those churches. He's saying, it's not working. What we're doing's not working. And I can tell you that the, that the Nazarene denomination is, uh, is struggling much less than many other ones. And I'm not saying this to knock or judge any denomination. I'm simply saying, I loved that moment of leadership, which was recognizing something has to change. It's a problem. There's a problem. And you can only get solutions when you recognize there's a problem. Right? And it's easy to be like, oh, we're, we're in River House. River House is growing. No, no. We're the church of Jesus Christ, and we're all in this together. Right? So I'm talking about big C church here. We have to recognize we're a post-Christian nation and the reality of what that brings with it. The second step is we must recognize and accept that our culture has no appetite for Jesus. No appetite for Jesus. They do not want his message. And largely, if you were to do studies, that is because of the hypocrisy and the judgment they've experienced through the church. So we are inheriting. Uh, we're sleeping in the bed that we made. Thirdly, though culture doesn't recognize its need for Jesus, they are searching for something. Culture doesn't think they want Jesus, but they are searching for something fervently, full throttle, searching and seeking for something to satisfy the ache that's inside of them. Fourth, this is probably the most important one. 
uh, and that is uh, active listening. So instead of critiquing culture, and I, I just wanna, I just wanna throw this out because I, I know many of us will resonate with this. You know, why are so many people wasting so much time on social media? You know, why are all these kids wasting their hours and hours playing Fortnite? Right? Why are millennials leaving their jobs because it's not the perfect job and they're just sitting in coffee shops dreaming all the time? Why are all these people, uh, you know, they're spending all their savings to go travel the world instead of making responsible decisions? Why are 100 million people watching this stupid YouTube video? Why this? Why that, right? Why is this game? Why are there so many people? Why is the porn industry so rampant in America? Why, why, why? We critique, critique, critique critique say these things are worthless these things are immoral these things are are uh, you know irresponsible right we critique 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 instead of critique I am posing to you that God is wanting us to start listening actively with the Holy Spirit and instead of just throwing those questions out in this condemning way actually seeking to find the answer to them why why are so many people investing all this time in this game. Why? What? Verse is very pertinent to the season of the church. You read Jeremiah 15, 19. It says this. This is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. It says, and if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. If you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. I believe that instead of just critiquing and throwing judgment at the things that we see are broken in culture, we have to actually start engaging with them, listening with the Holy Spirit, saying, God, what are they searching for? And as we do that, we start to look for the redeemable qualities within behaviors that are often not good behaviors or wasteful, worthless behaviors. But we actually start to extract that which is precious, which is they're asking this question. They're searching for this. They're, they're hungry for this. Amen? You following me? Right, as we do this, it says, you will become my spokesman, my spokeswoman. Why? Because when you start coming into, you know, in tune and you start recognizing the questions that culture is actually asking, you then can begin to seek God, the spirit of wisdom himself, for the answers to the questions that culture is asking. And he is the fount of all wisdom. He's the source of all creativity. He is the answer. Right? But the church has become notorious for giving answers to the questions nobody's asking. You know, they're asking something over here and we're just, no, I need to tell you about salvation. They don't want to hear that. And I'm not against the message of salvation. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm simply talking about the realities of a post-Christian context that we live in. They're asking different questions. But Jesus is the hope of nations. Jesus is the desire of every human heart. But we need the gift of interpretation so that we can translate him and give them what they're looking for. 
I just want to just bring this. I think this is so significant. I don't want anyone to miss this. When Richard Gordon stood on the stage three weeks ago and he shared, I was in my master's on some complex algorithm, yada, yada, yada. I wanted to quit. I had a dream. An angel of the Lord came. I saw AODC. He wrote, uh, the, it was the quickest path telecommunications algorithm you could do. It then exalted him to start meeting with the heads of military of nations across the world because he had the answer to the questions they were actually looking for. And then he said, they would ask me, how did you get this? Well, I had a dream, and God sent me an angel. And I opened the screen. See what I'm saying? When he answered the questions they were asking, he was given the favor and the influence to start introducing them to his God. That's a modern-day Daniel. That's a modern-day Joseph. And that is what God is desiring. That is prototypical of the minister of the gospel that he is raising up in this nation today. Yes. It's not a new thing. He's done it all throughout history, but it's new perhaps for us. And you have to believe God is not, Richard Gordon is not a special person. He is simply intimate with Jesus and connected with the spirit of wisdom. And so once we have understanding of the words of God. Once we have understanding of what he's speaking, the answers that he's giving to the questions of culture, we are then poised to express those words with inspired speech, creativity, expression into all the different realms of culture, right? And then as we're doing that, we uh, grow in influence because we're leavening people with the kingdom of God. We're opening new paradigm. We're giving them paradigm shifts. We're opening new perspective for them to see, oh, I thought I was stuck in here and here, but you're giving me solution. You're opening ways that I didn't know that I could do, that I didn't know I could operate like this. I didn't know. Are, are you following me? And as you do that, people will begin asking you the questions and they will, because they will recognize the wisdom of God operating through your life and you will have influence to introduce them to your God. Yes. And in that moment, right, you're actually cultivating appetite for the things of God. They just don't know it yet. Okay, you're leavening people. Leaven is small. Leaven is not in your face. Leaven is not seen. Leaven is not manifest. Leaven is small. And we've been given. When we get the language of God, we're just, we're leavening. We're leavening, 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 leavening. I was with a, a couple, an older couple that I quickly discerned. They were not against, they, they asked me what I did. I told them I was a pastor. I could tell they were very wealthy and probably agnostic. So they tolerated me once they found out I was a pastor. He then asked me a question and said, why do you think so many millennials are like, don't pursue their dreams? They just talk about them all the time. Kind of in this condescending tone. I began to answer and I said, well, I think it's because of insecurity and fear. And he said, what do you mean? And I started answering, well, I think it's because I just started levying him, started speaking with divine wisdom. I never mentioned salvation. I never mentioned the kingdom of God. By the end of the conversation, they just kept asking me more, kept asking me more. And then the wife looked at me and said, you are just lovely. <laughs> Which was her way of saying, I'm experiencing something I don't know how to put words on. I never mentioned the name Jesus, but every word I spoke was from him, right? We have permission. You're just a leavening agent. Leaven, 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 leaven. We're building the kingdom. It's not visible, but it is very manifest. So what I just described, um, you know, first, accept that we're post-Christian, accept the reality of the state of the church. Second, recognize our culture has no appetite for Jesus. Third, 
recognize that though it doesn't want Jesus, it is looking for something. Fourth, we begin actively listening, extracting the precious from the worthless. Fifth, uh, we begin uh, seeking God for the answers to these questions that they're asking. Sixth, we speak his word. Seventh, we grow in influence as we introduce them to our God. So what I just described probably sounds complicated, but it actually happens all the time. It's very human. Uh, and I just compare it to like when a, a, young, a young man falls in love with a, a young girl. Right? So he, uh, he sees a girl walk by, the, the wind blew, her hair just right, and he knew that was a sign from heaven that she is the one. She doesn't know his name, though. She doesn't even know this dude exists. Uh, and so the first step, he has to accept there's a problem. I've got a word from the Lord. She doesn't even know my name, right? Second step, I've got to recognize that though she does not have an appetite for me, she's single, so she's got an appetite for someone, 